Well, I'm excited to announce that beginning next Sunday, we're going to start a new series. Today is just one Sunday shot. Dan asked me, he's like, is this going to be a series you're doing? I was like, no, it, it could go 14 Sundays maybe, but I'm going to slam it into one. Because next week I want to get into talking about Lent and uh, the upcoming with Easter. At Christmas we talked about Advent and we prepared ourselves for Christmas. Lent is the season where you're preparing yourself for Easter. Um, a lot of churches, maybe do you've heard of Ash Wednesday and Lent. We don't do a lot of that. And I'm going to talk about that next week, though, and how we as a church, over the next 40-plus days, can get our hearts ready for Easter. So when it arrives, it's going to be one of the best Sundays ever. Not necessarily because of a message or the sermon, but just what it means and, and what, how it's going to hit our hearts. So just looking forward to that. In the meantime, grab your Bibles, would you please? Um, this morning, you know, Sunday sermons can be predictable throughout various seasons of the year. At Christmas, we talk about the birth of Jesus. Easter, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. At Mother's Day, well, we preach something for the ladies. And on Father's Day, courage for the men. Come on, men, I gotta, we're going to rise up, right? Thanksgiving, well, let's talk about being thankful and have an attitude of gratitude. Well, guess what today is? It's Valentine's Day, right? It's like, yep. How about a love story, Pastor Rex? All right, I'm all for that. But where do we start? Do I go all the way back and maybe Adam and Eve, where they walked hand in hand and began to bear children? And next thing you know, we got mankind. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Came a long way, didn't we? Or let's fast forward. Maybe Jacob and Esau. You talk about a love story of commitment. Wow. Working hard for your wife. Confusing love, Samson and Delilah. It's a very unique story there. Or for those of you who like the steamy romances, Song of Solomon's, married couples only, please read that. But let's not forget the redemptive story of Ruth and Boaz. Or how about Hosea? That's quite a unique love story with picturing us and God. Or how about just skip all the lovey-dovey stuff as far as husband and wife, man and woman. How about just friendship love? David and Jonathan, good buddies. Jesus and his disciples. There, there's some unique stories throughout the Bible, whether it's physical, marital, just friendship. But love is, permeates throughout Scripture. And love is what drove the God of this universe to put into action the greatest love story in history. When you look through Every single book in the Bible, I'm reading a book called Jesus Code right now. In every single book in the Bible, you'll find Jesus. Every single book. But you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you got the stories of Jesus, the Gospels. And we read there the 33 years, basically, of God in the flesh on this planet, putting into motion the ultimate act of love. The greatest love story reaches its pinnacle on the cross. It was the pursuit, basically, of a reconciliation between God and mankind. Jesus has come, basically, to rescue us and to redeem us. And the road to the cross was the final stages for, before the exploding conclusion. The world's greatest love story ever. Period. But, I have to ask the question, though, what is love? <laughs> because, you know, I say love and, you know, everything comes to different our minds, right? How do we describe it? So many books, so many stories, so many movies, so many songs. 
Roman and, uh, Romeo and Juliet, one of the first pieces of literature that maybe some of you in school, a love story, right? But then there's other love stories that maybe nobody's ever read. Nobody's probably ever read about the love story between our second president, John, and Abigail Adams. Married at age 50, five children, including America's fifth president, John Quincy Adams, one of their kids. But they wrote over a thousand letters to each other, love letters. One letter says this from, from Abigail. She wrote this to John. There is a tie more binding than humanity, stronger than friendship. And by this cord, I am not ashamed to say that I am bound, nor do I believe that you are wholly free from it. Who writes like that anymore? Today we're like, hey, babe, what's up? You're looking fine. And she's like, oh, did you hear what he said to me? Yeah, it was pretty low. But anyway, but, you know, nobody writes like that anymore. Or nobody maybe heard the story maybe of George Burns and Gracie Allen. And it's like, who's that? Well, the older generation here knows who George Burns was. Comedian, and for 40 years they were married and, and they entertained together. And when she passed away, every month, he went to the cemetery to visit her grave until he died at age 100. I mean, that, that's just love, right? Billboard.com listed their top 50 songs. I was like, what's, I wonder what the top song is with, about love, you know? And believe it or not, uh, Billboard.com says it was Diana Ross and Lionel Richie's number one song, Endless Love. And somebody's like, oh, that took you back to the 80s, right? You're like in junior high dance. I remember that song, yeah. But we're in church, so let's not go there. Let's go to Christian Mingo, because they said, Dave Barnes, Good Day for Mary You. That's a better song to play in church, right? Or Matthew West, uh, The Day Before You. Well, the list could go on and on, right? We think about all the people and, and their stories and how they've been inspired to write songs and books and art and entertainment, all inspired by this one word, love. But love is beyond cards and songs and stories and pleasure and chocolate, maybe. But love that goes way beyond that, right? Whether it's friendships or, or dating or family or engagement, marriage, love is so foundational for the success of all of these things. But what exactly is love? How do we define love? Maybe we should ask, I don't know, the author of love, the creator of love, maybe that's a good place for us to start. And all of us get on the same page. And to be direct, God is love. That's what scripture says. In the greatest love story ever written, it says God is love. So with your love stories or your Bibles that you're holding right now, open them up to the book of First John. It's at, towards the end of the Bible. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Just back it up a few books. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, you're right there. 1st John chapter 4. I'll read a couple of verses here for you. In 1st John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, it says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. There's your definition right there. God is love. Well, what else does God say about love? Let's look the next few verses here. Verses 9 and 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Verse 10. This, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us first 
and send his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Church, listen, very, very clearly, Scripture tells us the definition of love is this. God is love. That's the definition of love. The depth, the greatness of his love. God's love is not based on whether we love him or not. He is love, and he loves us. Now, we believe, according to Scripture, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God in the flesh. He came to earth to rescue us and redeem us, as I said earlier. But what does Jesus say about love? Well, you can turn in your Bibles or look on the screen. You're the one. You go to the book of John, chapter 1, where it says this. So the Word, that's God, became human, became flesh, and made his home among us. He was what? Full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. Verse 17, a few verses later, goes on to say this. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came how? Through Jesus Christ. See, God is love, and that love poured through Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. Read on another verse, John three sixteen. We know this one, right? This is how we know that God loves us. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You want to know how much God loves you? He gives us his love. He's like, I'm love. I'm giving me to you. What a great Valentine, right? John chapter 13, 1 says this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew his hour had come to leave the world and return to his father. He loved his disciples during the ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end, or another translation, to its full extent. It's like, I'm going to give you everything I got. Me. Full expression of God. God is love. Jesus is love. And God loves us. Jesus loves us. This is very basic Christianity 101 right here, okay? Nothing deep about this. Verse uh, John 17, 23 says this, I am in them, you're in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Think about this. God loves Jesus. They're one, right? And they love each other. They are love. And Jesus says, I want the world to know that, and he's telling us, that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Think about that. He, they are one. They are love. They love you that much. To me, that blows my mind because it's so hard to see. But by now, we should see it's pretty obvious that love can't be defined or wrapped up in a 40-minute message or four messages or 14 messages. It, maybe it just hits you, boom, like one big shot. and It's like, wow, that's what love is. I'm done. But now we've defined it. But how do you describe it in 40 minutes? I don't know if we can. Because we're very confused. Because before we can really fully understand love, we've got to empty ourselves of what we've become to think love is. Because this world has really messed us up and made us think about all these different things of what love is. And it's rather confusing. You just think about this. If you check out the statistics for pornography, child trafficking, extramarital affairs, divorce, and all this, they're just statistically way too high and growing. Unfortunately, numbers don't differentiate between Christians and non-Christians. It's one and the same when you look at the statistics. And then if our emotions aren't confused enough, dating is complicated. 
Some of you are like, I never want to date again. We have more followers and friends when it comes to social media than we can ever count, but yet so many of us feel what? Alone and isolated. We have equated sexual relationships, social media relationships with love, but is it really love? We just define love, and does any of this stuff sound like love? For some, love's based on the conditions of things. If you love me, I'll love you. We, you're saying, no, that isn't the way it works. It is. Think about this. Athletes do not feel loved unless their coach puts them in and plays them. I don't get to play much. My coach hates me. Sometimes students, kids in here, you're like trying to earn your parents' love by getting good grades. You feel like if I don't get a good grade, my parents won't love me. And sometimes parents, we're like, if I don't do this for my kids, my kids won't love me. And maybe for our bosses and our employees, like, well, if I don't do above average work, they won't love me. You see what I'm saying? We're all conditioned thinking like if we do something for somebody, they will love us. That's not how God works. That's not how God defines love. But yeah, we have defined it that way. So it gets rather confusing and we really have to really drop a lot of things around us because why? We, we just all want to be loved, right? Why are gangs so popular? Why do people do things they know they shouldn't do? Because they know that they will be accepted and loved by those in those gangs, by, in, by that group of people that go out and do maybe mischievous things or whatever. And there's like, I know these people are here, they don't accept me, but these people do. So if I just do what they're doing, I'll fit in, I will feel loved. Because that's all we want. We want to be loved. So we try to sort through all this, but the best way for us to sort through this is to go back to what I just said about 10 minutes ago, and that is foundational truth. Foundational truth is this. God is love. That's the definition. God defines it. Scripture then describes it. How do we love others? And here's the thing. I can't fully love somebody else until I'm fully loved by God, and I understand what that means. We can't give what we don't have. And if I've not received his love, how can I give his love away to others? Love God, love others. It's hard to love others if we do, if we do that in reverse. I'm going to love others and love God. It's impossible. It begins with loving God and then loving others. Billy Graham said this, when we love God with all of our hearts, then we have the capacity to love our neighbor. For Jenny and I, we've discovered this. Basically, our love increases not through intimacy or gift giving or whatever. Our love has increased through trials and through pain. It's in these moments of testing in which our relationship is strengthened. Love grows not just in sunshine, but also in the rain. Love is defined as God. That's where it begins. And love is then described through Scripture. And that's what I want to do. I've already defined love for you. It's God, okay? But now I want to show you how love is described in Scripture. And so we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says. And actually, Paul, Pastor Paul, already read what the Apostle Paul read, said. That was confusing. Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 we get to this kind of love that, um, that the Apostle Paul is going to speak about. Understand this. The New Testament is written in Greek. Greek has like more than, I think, seven, maybe more words for love. We have one. 
right? It, you know, it's like if you're reading through the Bible and the New Testament, you read the word love, it might have a different meaning. If you understand what the Greek says, that will help you clarify and define what's going on in that scripture. For me, if I say, man, I love puzzles. Ah, man, I love Jenny. And you're like, what do you mean? Um, I'm trying to put both of them together and sometimes it's a little challenging, right? No. Which one do you love more? My wife. Why are you saying that? Because I'm standing in front of a lot of people right now. That's why, right? But when we say I love something, I love pizza, I love my wife, I love puzzles, I love all this kind of stuff, we use one word. The Greek has multiple words. When we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13, there's one Greek word that's going to get used over and over. It's agape. Agape is the highest level of love. It's God's love. You can't get any better than this love. It's, it is the, the one that everybody says, God says, this is me, and I want you to demonstrate it. Agape love. Not friendship love, not erotic love, not, not you're my buddy love. The highest level of love, God's love right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's start in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps record no wrong being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Verse 7. Love never gives up, never loses faith, always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. You see, love was defined. Now love is going to be described. And if you're sitting here and you had a little checklist, we're going to go like, I think, maybe 14 different descriptions here of love. And you were to check off, yep, I'm good out here, I'm good here. Feel free to go for it, okay? Because here's what's going to happen. As if I started doing this, after about the first couple, it's like, okay, I'm not hitting them all. And because I'm a perfectionist, I, that bothers me that I didn't conquer that one very well. So I'm just not going to do the list, right? Well, hang in there as we go through all 14 and, and try to work our way through these because I, I want you to understand how each one is sort of pictured, okay? So let's go with the beginning. Let's go back to starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Basically, it's, this is the way it is. As we know human nature, we are short-tempered, right? We're intolerant. But agape love is slow to anger. Picture a candle with a very long wick. It's going to take a long time to burn, that's the picture that we get here from the Greek is that uh, this person, I am patiently going to wait on you. I love you so much. I'm not going to bow out. I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to be patient with you and I'm just going to wait long if I have to. That's the first thing. Then it says love is kind. Again, portrays a willingness to serve. It's completely outside of self-centeredness or selfishness. It's looking at the other person first. Love is kind. Third one, love is not jealous. We know that a jealous person is usually bent on always getting whatever they want, right? They're willing to sacrifice anything or anyone to get it. Self-centered, so consumed with self, they don't even think about the needs or the desires of other people. It's just like, it's all about me right now, right? Agape love is committed to seeing others being blessed, others being successful. If you're walking in agape love, your greatest concern is that others succeed, not you. You're not jealous of them. You're happy for them. Love isn't boastful. 
Love doesn't go around talking about itself all the time, like, hey, look at me, look at me, constantly exaggerating or, or bragging upon, look at everything that I did. I, I really want to look more important than you right now. It's not love. What's the next one? Love is not proud. Love doesn't behave in a prideful, arrogant, snobbish, or clamish way. Love isn't rude. We all know what rude looks like, right? Basically being inconsiderate of others. Our actions, our words are pretty harsh, discourteous. We exhibit bad manners. We act in a bad way towards people. Just flat out rotten, right? Somebody says, do you see the way they're acting? It's really ugly. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Love doesn't demand its own way. Now, the Greek word for here, this actually means to seek. But it was also used to depict a person who was so upset about not getting what they wanted, they would take another person to court to get what they wanted, to to demand it from them. Instead of looking for an answer, they would just take that person out with the intent of getting what they wanted from that person. They're going to pursue whatever they needed to do. They would twist the facts. They would look for loopholes. Basically, it's manipulation is what it comes down to. Love doesn't manipulate the situation. That's what we're getting at here when it says love doesn't demand its own way. It goes on to say love is not irritable. This is one of my favorites. Because we all have that person that comes alongside us and they sort of bug you a little bit. You know what I mean? The, the, verb, or the word here is a picture of somebody with a stick and they're poking you in the side. They just keep poking you and prod you. It's like, eventually you're like, stop. Ah, that's the picture we're getting at right here. Love is not irritable. By the way, the same Greek word is used for vinegar, which is sour and bitter and acidy, right? Love doesn't operate that way. Next one, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Again, this is a Greek word used for accounting. So like if you're... Uh, an accountant here, you were like working with numbers. This is you charting down numbers, keeping track of everything. A bookkeeper taking the, the debit or the credit, whatever it's going to be. This is you. Okay? Love doesn't keep record of wrongs. Love isn't like, oh, I remember when you did this. Hey, remember last week when you did this? Hey, five years ago you did this to me. Hey, yesterday when you did this, what am I doing? I'm keeping track. I'm keeping record of every wrong that my spouse or my friend or whoever it is has ever done to me. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Aren't you glad that that this is God's love? God's agape love keeps no record of wrongs. Did you realize that? Oh, our sins? Wouldn't it be horrible if God's like, hey, you remember yesterday when you, mm mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, how about the other day? Uh Uh-huh. Ten minutes ago when you, mm, yeah. God keeps no record of wrongs. When we ask for forgiveness, he forgives us. Amen? Good to know. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out. Have you ever secretly rejoiced when somebody you don't like or annoys you, loses, or something happens to them? You're like, I didn't want to laugh at that, but they deserved it. Right? A lot of us in here were like, we don't do that. At the last ball game you're at, and you're cheering on your team, and the other team turns the ball over, the other team commits a foul, you're like, yeah! What did you just do? He just cheered on their failure. 
We just, we just did that, you know? And God's like, no, 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 love is elated. Love is thrilled. Love is ecstatic. It's overjoyed. And now we're all sitting there going, does that mean at the next ball game I got to cheer when the other team scores? No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? What I'm saying is with love, when the one that you are showing love to messes up, don't get excited about that. You want to see them succeed. That's what love does, right? Going on in Scripture, I think this is verse 6 or 7, I think we're at, love bears all things or love never gives up. Uh, I love this one too. You know why? Because this Greek word here means to cover up like a roof. So you think about the ceiling that we have above us and the roof over that. Are we thankful for that today? Yeah. It's like, well, we could have the sun shining on us. Yes, and 30-degree weather. Just pouring in, right? Or if it's a rainy day and we're, we're seeking shelter, we're like, it's coming down hard and we're trying to find some. we got to get under a roof. we got to get under shelter somewhere, right? We're looking for something to protect us, to cover over top of us. That's what this word means. There are moments in our lives when love says, I'm going to cover you up, okay? Let me give you an example. For instance, if something was happening to my wife where I felt she's not being protected, I come alongside her and I, my love covers her up and protects her and shades her from what's going on. There are so many outside circumstances in our lives that come in at us, just like the weather. Every season, the weather is different, right? Whether it's wind, rain, snow, whatever's coming in, I'm so thankful for a roof. In the same way, we have so many unfortunate circumstances that come in and hit us Isn't it good to have somebody stand next to you to cover you with love? That's the picture. Love bears all things. Love never gives up. Scripture goes on to say, love never loses faith or believes all things. Basically, again, you're just putting your faith in someone or something. And again, the the term used here lets us know it's it's a constant, continuous believing. Basically saying this, I believe in you. That's what love does. Love comes alongside you and says, I believe in you. I believe you can do this. It doesn't ignore the problems or challenges of life. We all have those come our way. But it's making a choice to say, I'm going to see beyond those problems. I'm going to see beyond those difficulties. I believe you can do this, and I'm standing here with you. Love never loses faith. Love believes all things. Next one says, love's always hopeful. This means rather than assuming failure or bad result in somebody's life, agape love says, I'm expecting the best in you. Love endures all things. Basically, again, the attitude is somebody who's carrying a heavy load. Picture me with a like a 200-pound backpack on, and I'm carrying it, and it's like, I'm carrying this for you, and it's like, I know I could just set it down right now, but because I believe in you and I want to stand with you, I'm going to carry this for you. And it's a heavy burden sort of to pull on and, and, and to, to, to put upon my back. But agape love says, I will bear the burden for you. I will endure this in this moment. I'm committed to stay here through all of this, through the thick and thin. I'm here. Here to stay. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. We read through it often. We don't realize maybe the, the content behind it. Again, I just zip through those so fast. 
And maybe a checklist was going off in your mind like, oh, yeah, I'm that way. I'm not that way. I could get better at that one. I need a lot of work on that one. Hopefully you weren't sitting there going, he needs help on that one. She needs help on this. It's sort of a, we need to look inside on this one, okay? Again, love is defined, but now we just all love described. I want to read this scripture to you again. But I'm going to read it in the way that I just described it to you. So listen carefully. Love patiently and passionately bears with others for as long as patience is needed. Love doesn't demand others to be like itself. Rather, it's focused on the needs of others that it bends over backwards to become what others need it to be. Love is not ambitious, self-centered, or so consumed with itself that it never thinks of the needs or desires of others possess. Love doesn't go around talking about itself all the time, constantly exaggerating and embellishing the facts to make it look more important inside of others. Love does not behave in a prideful, arrogant, haughty, superior manner. Love is not rude. It's not careless or thoughtless, nor does it carry on in a fashion that would be considered insensitive to others. Love does not manipulate situations or scheme and devise methods that will twist situations to its own advantage. Love does not deliberately engage in actions or speak words that are so sharp that they cause an ugly or violent response. Love does not deliberately keep records of wrongs or past mistakes. Love does not feel overjoyed when it sees an injustice done to somebody else, but elated, thrilled, and overjoyed with truth. Love protects and shields and guards and covers and safeguards people from exposure. Love strains forward with all its might to believe in the very best in every situation. Love always expects and anticipates the best in others and the best for others. Love never quits. Love never surrenders. Love never gives up. Love never disappoints. And love never fails and never lets anyone down. That is love described by the Apostle Paul. And I sit there and I read that and I'm thinking, yeah, I know what love is. I see love described. But then I got more questions. Like what? Well, like, how do I love people who are unlovable? And when I fail at loving somebody, does that mean I'm not a Christian? I mean... How do I love those who disagree with me? And and when somebody over here says, this is what love is, and I don't fully agree with that, does that mean I'm not a Christian? I'm so confused by this, right? Sometimes we're left to figure out on our own a good way to love others. Remember that you're loving another person, and that person that you get to love is loved by God. Your actions are going to define how you love. And your actions are going to be different than maybe how somebody else loves. The definition is the same, non-negotiable. But your actions might be different, how you describe love. I might see love as doing one thing, but I can't put that on you and say, this is how you love people. If you don't love, if you're not doing this, you're not loving people. We've heard that often. Pretty simple. Dave's saying to you, he loves you. That was an expression of love to you. If I sang to my wife, that'd be cruel and unusual punishment. Okay? (laughs) So what was love defined for Dave is going to be different from me. Does that make sense? 
Thank you. Okay. You didn't want to hear me sing. That's good. Okay. So let's remember this. The definition of love, non-negotiable. But the description of love is negotiable in how you love others. Dr. Smalley wrote this book called The Five Love Languages. And he's basically saying there's five different ways that people feel love. Maybe it's words of affirmation. People say nice things to you. Maybe it's acts of service. People do things for you. Maybe it's just spending time together. Maybe it's physical touch. And maybe, and I'm forgetting what the last one is, uh, or small gifts of kindness. There's, there's five different ones. For some of you, it's like, I like when somebody holds my hand, puts their arm around me, I feel love. And somebody else is like, yeah, I don't like that. But I like words of encouragement. See, we feel love different ways. So love is defined non-negotiable. God is love. But how we then describe love or display love, it's going to vary. It's going to differ. And I'm so thankful that the Bible has so many awesome examples of how to show God's love. God is love. He's given us the freedom to love others in various ways. But here's something else that's non-negotiable. It's basically what our church is birthed out of. Matthew 22, 37, 39, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when we're filled with God's love, we are loved because he first loved us. We are now going to bear fruit. Bear fruit means like a tree. You go outside and you see the fruit on the tree. It's like, oh, I know what kind of tree that is by the fruit. People should look at Christians and say, by the fruit I see on you, which is love, I know what you believe. I'm seeing it displayed. John 13, 34, 35 says this. So now I'm giving you a new command. Love each other just as I loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought into full expression through us. When we love as God loved us, people see God. And it's an amazing thing. John chapter 15, verse 1 and 12 and 13 and 17 all talk about, says this, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus said, this is my command. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. This is my command. Love each other. Love. I've tried to make this a simple message. I really did. Uh, But life is complicated. Love is complicated. But when it comes down to it, it's really simple again. Loving God. Non-negotiable. The definition is non-negotiable. What is negotiable? How we love each other. As it is described. Today, let's think about this. Anger, hatred. It's like the arch enemy of love, right? If you want to throw it out there like that, is I think it's on display more than ever before. Sometimes I feel like if, if love and, and, and anger were, were playing a game, I'd look up at the scoreboard and I would, I would really believe that right now love's losing. When I look around this world, I sort of feel like love's losing, the anger's winning. But then I need to go back to Scripture and remember this. God already won. He's already victorious. So it may look like love is losing, but it's not. It's already won. And we 
God's people contain that victory within us, contain that love within us. We shouldn't be ashamed of our faith. We need to stand strong more so than ever before in how we love God and love others. And as the pastor of this church, I love seeing how God works through his people. I really do. Every week, every day, somebody in this church basically proves to me how much you love God by how I see you loving others. Every week, somebody surprises me with either an act of generosity or I see people buying books for Bible studies or giving to a need. Serving the kids on Wednesday night or Sunday morning, those are acts of love. Helping at the food pantry on Thursdays, donating to the food pantry. The, the room in the, the, which the food pantry is in, if you've never been in, you need to go in there because a handful of men came in yesterday and remodeled that room out of love. Making meals for the hurting, reaching out with phone cards and uh, or phone calls and texts and, and all kinds of cards. I mean, you are showing love. And I'm telling you, church, nothing makes me more excited than to see love is winning. And it's winning here. And I want to encourage you to keep on loving God and loving others. God is love. Defined. Period. Now let's love others. And that is negotiable how you do it. I just want to encourage you to just keep on doing it. Do not let the rage and the fury of this world defeat you. Refuse to give in to anger. Refuse to give in to those moments of where you're just losing all peace. Because you got the Prince of Peace living in you. Worship team, would you come up, please? We serve one God. He is undefeated. He is full of mercy and love. He is holy and righteous. We do not need to cower in fear. We do not need to to whimper. We do not need to crouch down and say, how do I do this? No, stand strong in love. Continue to love. Let God work through each and every one of you. Would you stand, please? I want to encourage you to keep on loving. I know today we've sort of made fun at the very beginning about a corporate holiday here and all so forth and so on. And you know what? Some of us enjoy it. Some of us hate it. Regardless, let every day be a day when it's like, I'm loved. And if you're in here and you maybe you even came to church by yourself, I'm sorry that you had to drive here by yourself. But when you came in, I hope you felt love in one way or another. Because you are loved. You're loved by the God of this universe. And maybe I don't know everything about your background and and I don't even know your middle name. I love it that you're here. And I think people can all look around and say, I love you, right? We live in a time when now it's like we're supposed to be isolated and we're not supposed to hug or shake hands and we disinfect each other after we breathe on each other and it's all like, eh. It's hard to, to love. Like something like I was born to hug. Right, Mike Fogarty? Yeah. And you're not the only one. I, I, I know that uh, Luke back there is a strong, close second. You know, there's a lot of you huggers in here. I know you are, okay? And in this whole thing of, can I just, yeah, go for it. I don't care. Express yourself. And you're one of those persons like, I don't want to get sick, so don't lean on me, don't hug me. Just let them know, okay? But if, if you really need a handshake, a hug, or a smile, don't be jumping out of this building too quick. Because there's a lot of loving people in here. You just get to know them 
you'll see how God's love is pouring through them in you as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I'm so thankful, Lord, for your love because that love is what we need in order to love others. I thank you that you love us so much. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, the embodiment of love so that we could see love in action. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that works through us so that we can love others because a lot of us have a hard time loving others, but your spirit enables us with the power to be able to do that. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. God, feels like love isn't winning, but it's already won. So God, help us to walk out of here in victory today. Help us to, to believe what is true about love. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this church. Lord, we want to sing now to you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. In our name we pray. Amen.